Welcome to Succession Stories, Insights for Next Generation Entrepreneurs. I'm Lori Barkman. I've spent my career bringing an entrepreneurial approach to mature companies struggling with change. As an outside executive of a third-generation, 120-year-old company, I was part of a long-term succession plan. Now I work with entrepreneurs, privately held companies, and family businesses to develop innovations that create enterprise value and transition plans to achieve their long-term goals. On this podcast, listen in while I talk with entrepreneurs who are driving innovation and culture change. I speak with owners who successfully transition their company and others who experience disappointment along the way. Guests also include experts in multi-generational businesses and entrepreneurship. If you are a next-generation entrepreneur looking for inspiration to grow and thrive, or an owner who can't figure out the best way to transition their closely held company, this podcast is for you. Subscribe to our newsletter for more resources to build value in your business. Visit small.big.com. That's small.big.com and sign up today. Founded in 1780, Laird and Company is America's oldest distiller. Yep, 240 years old. Laird makes Applejack that people have enjoyed since colonial times. Not many companies can claim George Washington as an OG fan. Talking with Lisa Laird Dunn, Generation 9, and her son Gerard, Generation 10, was an entrepreneurship and history lesson mixed into a brandy snifter. Throughout their history, the company has faced highs and lows. Like other businesses, they have had to overcome challenges and obstacles in the short term while investing in the future. I enjoyed hearing about the loyalty and pride in this historic family company, and I hope that you will too. Good morning, Lisa and Gerard. I am thrilled to be with you guys today for a lot of reasons. One of which is I've never had a mother-son on the show. And so having you guys with me is quite an honor. And also, it's incredible to have two generations together that are Generation 9 and Generation 10. It's extremely, extremely cool. And your family business is part of U.S. history. I am so excited to ask you about your backgrounds and learn about Laird and Company, founded in 1780. Lisa, let's start with you. If you can introduce yourself and tell us about the company's history. Okay, so I'm Lisa Laird, Lisa Laird Dunn, and I am the ninth generation of the Laird family to be involved in our family business. I am the executive vice president, global ambassador. So before COVID, I would travel around the world. Currently, I'm more in-house than I've been in quite a while. So I do miss visiting our customers and our friends around the world. But yeah, as you had mentioned, we are we started in 1780. Actually, we started distilling in the late 1600s, but we use 1780 as our official start date from my four greats grandfather's account book of operations from the 1700s. So we have our first entry of sale that we have an actual physical record in 1780. So we use that as our start date. But through the years, we have managed to pass it down through the generations. It always was father to son. We did have in the, I guess it was right around prior to prohibition where it went from an uncle to a nephew. And then this is pretty much the first time, except my grandmother did step in for a short time when my grandfather unexpectedly passed away, but I am the first Laird female to be in an executive position and setting up to take over the company. That is very, very cool. 
And thanks for that. We'll dive a little bit more into the history because I, I definitely want to learn more. And Gerard, you want to introduce yourself? Yep. I want to start off by saying good morning, Lori, and thank, mm-hmm. thank you for having us on. My name is Gerard Dunn. I am the 10th generation Laird to join the family business. My position here right now is operations manager. And I do a little bit of everything now, pretty much still trying to learn from everyone in the company. I first started working here when I was 14, 15 years old in the summer, just to gain a little bit of extra cash. And here I am today coming back every summer. And it just, it led to me being fully interested in the business. And here I am. Perfect. Perfect. So how many family members are in the company today, Lisa? We currently have four of us that are working day to day with the operations. And then we have three additional family members that are on the board of the company. So I think I read somewhere there's around 67 descendants and 12 have been part of the business, which gives today's generations, let's see, your your father is involved. So that's generation eight, nine, and 10. So that's about a third in the business just in current day. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> incredible. It's very, it's very unusual <laughs> to have three generations involved in one family business. So my father just turned 80 this year and he's the type very strong type A personality. He's very passionate about our industry and our company, and we do not foresee him retiring and and stepping away fully. He will always be here to some degree for sure. So, but (laughs) but we do learn a lot from him. So it's fun having him around. Okay. Well, we want to learn more about him. His name's Larry, right? Absolutely. Larry Laird. Larry Laird. Well, we'll come back to Larry. Let's go back in history a little bit with the company. And you mentioned a little bit about the distillery. And I think in reading the company history, I was fascinated because it literally is a walk through U.S. history through all the generations. And it's so unusual to speak with a company that has such a history like yours. Maybe you could hit some of the highlights and some of the challenges and obstacles that your company has had to overcome through the years. And by the way, you probably should start with your most famous customer and fan, who's George Washington. <laughs> yeah, there's there's obviously a lot of history, a lot of anecdotes, a lot of challenges through 240 years of history. But yes, George Washington was one of our first fans, which was just pretty cool to have, you know, as part of our legacy. My four greats grandfather, Robert Laird, who I'd mentioned before with our first account book of operations, him along with his brother Richard were war dragoons under General George Washington's command. So While they were in the area, we did supply the troops with Applejack, and George Washington wrote the family asking for the recipe because he had excess of apples on Mount Vernon. So he was producing cider spirits or Applejack, apple brandy, which were all synonymous during this time period. And we had another family member, Moses Laird, who was George Washington's guide while he was in this area. He would find individuals that knew the local terrain because obviously he did not know the local terrain as he traveled around during the Revolutionary War. But we also have, you know, a lot of history with other presidents. You know, William Henry Harrison was dubbed the hard cider candidate because it was very free-flowing during his Whig rallies, and they say that's why he won. Got Abraham Lincoln, served apple brandy at his tavern in Springfield, Illinois. He actually had his bill of fare from 1833 had it at 12 cents a half pint. Apple brandy. Coming into more recent times, probably prohibition was our biggest challenge, obviously, for anybody in this industry. 
we were producing non-alcoholic apple beverages. And then my grandfather and his brother petitioned the federal government for a permit to produce for medicinal purposes. And we were able to reopen, uh, begin distilling again, and we could distill up to 1 million gallons per year under that permit. And it's kind of comical because there were prescriptions that people could obtain during prohibition for a certain amount of alcoholic beverages. And one of those um, ailments was depression, which I kind of find a comical because who wasn't depressed <laughs> when they couldn't get their uh, their little nips of alcohol during uh, during that time period. You know, it was the heyday of Applejack once prohibition was lifted. But throughout history, you know, there's it's a very cyclical industry. The American consumers, their tastes change. You know, we went through a period where customers were moving away from heavy brown spirits. They wanted lighter vodka and gin and rum and so forth. And so we had a decline in sales moving into the late 60s, 70s, and 80s. And actually, we created a new federal standard of identity in 1970 of blended Applejack. And that was in order to lighten our spirit to kind of accommodate the uh, changing tastes of the American consumer. I guess today, now you would find we're in another challenge with uh, what we're going through with the worldwide pandemic and and unfortunately restaurants and bars being periodically shut down. And, you know, obviously many people are afraid once they are open are afraid to go out, which is very understandable for some people. So we definitely are in a challenging time period again with our industry. And unfortunately, that's when Gerard jumped in and he's learning quite a bit right off the get-go. Yeah, Gerard, your timing's impeccable. You joined right in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> Congratulations. It could have been better timed. <laughs> yeah. Lisa, thanks for sharing that history. And I, I think it's important for the audience to really appreciate not only have you been, you know, curating a business in terms of the legacy, but you're also trying to move it forward. And that's a big part of what I want to talk about today with succession, because your father, and I think you touched on it in the 70s, perhaps he had a role in there where he had joined the company and then he had dealt with some of those changes. Is that correct? That you were just alluding to? Was your father really part of that? Absolutely. And in addition, because you know, at that point in time, we were our business was Applejack and Apple Brandy. And we found we had to diversify at that point in time because consumers really weren't drinking that much brown spirits. So we diversified into other types of spirits where we rectify and bottle and and we created an import division where we import wines and spirits. And we also started contract bottling for other customers. And we were able to keep the doors open and be able to continue the legacy and continue the company. And and it's amazing. At one point, I guess in the 70s and 80s, about 80 to 90% of our business was contract bottling. And today, now it's reverted where 80 to 90% of our business is our own products. We still do some contract bottling. So it's ebb and flow, depending on what the economy, you know, what we're up against. But we have found a way to diversify and make the necessary changes in order to keep the the business going. Yeah. And for anyone watching this on on video and YouTube, you'll see a display of I think there are a lot of vintage. Vintage means something really different in this in your company. Vintage means way back, but it looks like there's some really cool old bottles behind you. 
and I've seen your products today and they do have quite a different feel. And then Gerard, maybe you can talk about this. So as the products have evolved and tastes have evolved, I think your products were appealing to the working man, right? It was something that I think I read that back in the early, early days with water quality not being so great, people would put Applejack, or I think I saw Lisa, you were on CBS News for, for this segment, talking about people used to put Applejack on their oats or their morning meal and, you know, flash forward to people after work maybe. And then today, how have the tastes for your product evolved? And how do you think about that, Gerard, in terms of where it even might be going? So yes, the tastes have definitely changed with the modern consumer. At our heyday, it was mostly known for people's grandfathers would drink it. It would be a shot and a beer type atmosphere at a bar. But now you're seeing a reinvigoration of the cocktail culture. And a lot of bartenders are bringing back these old recipes for the modern consumer. And personally, that is my favorite way to consume our apple brandy. But you see a more modern shift with the packaging as well. So we had to pivot with that a little bit. We still like to include our history in some of our labels, like our seven and a half year old apple brandy is almost a spitting image of one of our oldest bottles we have with us here. But our newest apple brandy expression, our 10th generation apple brandy, which was created to celebrate the 10th generation joining the family business. It's definitely our most modern looking package. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely beautiful. Everything from the glass bottle to the uh, the clear coated label. And um, But it still ties in some of our older parts of our labeling, like our Apple logo, and as well as the cork finish. So you have an eye towards the future with certainly an appreciation of the past. You had mentioned in your introduction, Gerard, that you had I think you said you swept floors and you did all kinds of things as a teenager. And we'll just assume the labor laws all worked out, but we won't go there. <laughs> but how did you really get interested in working in the business? Was it something that it was just assumed you would do, or was it genuinely an interest that you had and you had developed on your own? So from the start, I never really thought about it. I just worked here, as I said, for some extra spending money and during the summers. But as I came back each and every summer, my responsibilities increased. Eventually, I moved on from sweeping floors and cleaning under the machines. And don't get me wrong, I still even do that today. (laughs) But um, I started working in our accounting department in our processing where I was actually making the batches of liquor, worked a little bit in sales and marketing as well. So as I gained more responsibility, I gained a greater sense of pride. And the longer time I spent, I spend here, it's hard to explain. There's like an, an aura where I don't know if it's the history or if I think it's the history, but it's that greater sense of pride as I was touching on. And it just makes me proud to work here. And I was never assumed I was going to join the business. I think that's something my grandfather and my mother did exceptionally well. I was never, I never felt pressured at all until One day, my grandfather just walked in my office, sat down, and just straight up said out of nowhere, so do you think you want to join the business? And I said yes. And then he got up and left the office. Not a word more was spoken. And it was clear (laughs) cut from there. That's it. Done. That was it. Exactly. And that was the only time it was ever brought up. So I think they did a great job of not pressuring me. Lisa, what's your position on that from yourself? And then as you think about Gerard coming into the company, what were your thoughts? 
Well, obviously, I wholeheartedly wanted him to come into the company. And and I also have a daughter that hopefully someday she will come on board. Um, But obviously, I feel very strongly that it has to be their choice. It has to be their passion. Because if it isn't their choice or passion or what they want to do, it's not good for them. And it's not good for the company as well. Um, Luckily, my father took that avenue with me. I never felt pressured. So I felt it was also important that I didn't pressure my own children because I saw how I started one path and then I realized that this is what I wanted to do and it was my decision. And I think it's very important that you don't feel that pressure. So yeah, and I I was did this, I had pretty much had the same avenue that Gerard did, you know, worked here just to make some extra cash, you know. I uh, worked in um, quality control and production. And then when I finally um, decided to come in, into the company. I went into accounting and, and to sales and so forth, but which is pretty funny when I was younger and working here and, and working in production, we had an elderly gentleman called um, Jake Gunther. He'd been here for years and a local guy here in Colts Neck and he ran our processing. And he went one day went into my father's office and goes, do I have to listen to her? <laughs> and my father goes, Yep. If she tells you something to do, you got to listen to her. He goes, okay. And that was it. And that was it. <laughs> that yeah. Was it. So <laughs> I'm, I'm a little stumbling here because yeah. I know you mentioned that I want to be sensitive to it, but you mentioned that in your history, it's typically been a man at the helm, you know, Absolutely. a son mm-hmm. and, and your father is the chairman and CEO and, but you have an external facing role. You have a significant role in the company and I think there's another, your cousin is also in the company in the finance. Yeah. And so you have a significant role and you're a woman. And so in your coming into the company and people saying things like you just heard, okay, so there were some rumblings internally. What about externally in this industry? Isn't it kind of male dominated? What was the reaction to you coming on? It's extremely male dominated. Uh, you're seeing many more women involved in the industry today, which is wonderful. But when I first came in, there basically was very, very few women. And um, it was difficult at times, um, but I think I did have some type of advantage just because of my name and I was part of the family of the company. Um, But in some instances that didn't make a difference. So there were certain times that it was definitely difficult. I had to go above and beyond to prove myself that most men probably did not have to do in this industry. And I've had to do it internally as well as externally. Um, But I had quite like in-house, when I started, we had uh, a female VP of production, uh, Janice Custer, who was a wonderful role model for me and taught me so much about production. And, you know, we we were probably one of the first companies in this industry that had a female in a very prominent role. Uh, So that was something for me to look up to as well and to learn from her. But outside of the industry, I had many, um, and, and actually internally when I went and started in sales, because that's when I really started seeing any of the impact of being a female in the industry when I went out and, and started in the sales and, and working with sales distributors and working with um, salesmen and so forth. And, you know, I had some, there was a Skip Hutchinson who ran my distributor here in New Jersey, who really um, taught me so much and, you know, brought me along and made me help with my confidence level and so forth. And, and I had a Gene Chandler who, was in Virginia with control market. So I had different men 
throughout the industry that had my back and saw my potential and, you know, helped build my confidence. And I'm very appreciative to them um, because not everybody was like that. I, you know, had a lot of sexual harassment, obviously. Um, I was on, worked with a salesman one day and all of a sudden he had a bottle of champagne and a blanket and a, a picnic lunch and wanted to go for a picnic lunch instead of visiting accounts. And I'm like, um, no. <laughs> so, you know, different things like that. So obviously wouldn't have done that with a male supplier, but um, thought it was a nice idea to go for a nice little picnic, which, uh, so there's different instances for sure, which I could go on and on and on, which would, which would, um, you know, it's kind of crazy, but yeah. So, but it's gotten much better. Um, obviously there's so many more, many more female represent representatives in the industry. And um, I think it's a wonderful thing. And um, I hope it continues. And, uh, you know, one thing that I'm hoping that someday my daughter will come in and be able to we have another female uh, Lair family member in the, in the company. But yeah, and you would be a wonderful mentor for her. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah. And so, Gerard, for you, you have your mother and your grandfather and others in the company that are very interested in your success. Do you lean on them to learn the ropes and ask for help when needed? How do you think about mentorship when it's your mom and your grandpa? And by the way, you call them by their first names at work, right? Yes, I do, which I'm still getting used to. It's a little <laughs> awkward, but um, it's calling my mother Lisa is better than calling her mom in front of my coworkers. So still getting used to that. But yes, it, I, when people bring it up, I, I chuckle a little bit. But um, yeah, as, as you said, learning from my mother and grandfather, obviously, especially um, my grandfather has seen the highest of highs that this company has been in and the lowest of lows. So there really hasn't been anything that he hasn't experienced firsthand. So just leaning on him to even transfer over some of that tribal knowledge that you can't just write down in a book and, and learn it in a couple of years. Um, just being by his side and trying to absorb as much as I possibly can. Um, I also lean on my mom a lot too. Um, I don't work with her alongside internally here in the company yet. Um, when I do learn from her, it's out in the field when we're visiting customers and accounts and just seeing all the respect that she has from all these people makes me realize that whatever she did do, she did it the right way. And that I, I try to follow the way she acts when she's out in the public speaking with our um, accounts and uh, all the different bartenders that absolutely adore her. She's yeah. a good role model for you. That, I love the ride-alongs. I, I think that's a great way to learn and certainly getting out in front of customers and understanding what their needs are is important, especially in a year like this year. And I thought maybe we could talk about that and kind of, you know, talking about 2020. It's almost in the rearview mirror at the time we're recording. It's the end of 2020. And we have a lot of hopefully wonderful things to look forward to in 2021. How has this year been for you and the company, Lisa? It's been... A challenge that is for sure. Um, you know, in 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 the beginning, we transitioned um, to produce hand sanitizer. Um, so we had obviously we had product here, and we wanted to do what we could to help the frontline uh, workers as well as um, any healthcare workers. Um, so we were donating to different first aids, uh, police stations, fire 
fire stations and so forth, as well as frontline workers. Um, we were doing drive through um, sales here where local customers, you know, people that lived here, they couldn't find hand sanitizer. So we were doing on weekends, we were having drive drive through and it was insane, the lines of cars that we had coming through um, trying to get the um, hand sanitizer. And we still are producing some, not as much as we did. And we have people that still come in because they they think ours is the best. And so they, they keep uh, coming to purchase it. Um, Does it have an apple smell? No, 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 <laughs> no. <laughs> By by law, we can't have any aroma to it. So, but um, and then also, you know, our bartending community is very important to us. Um, you know, they um, have really promoted our product. They have a love for our product. They love the history, um, and they've been using it in their cocktail repertoire for years now. And so many of them have been out of work. And so we did. Uh, we had a, a program where we called it Laird's Apple Aid, and. Um, and what we did is we just did a bartender contest and all they had to do was send in a video of them making a cocktail, whether in their kitchen, wherever they were, and it didn't have to be fancy. And we supported them. Um, we uh, we felt it was very important to directly support them instead of giving some lump sum to a group and hope it gets distributed correctly. We were putting it um, you know, right in their pockets. And what was, you know, so heartwarming is the stories that they were telling us, you know, they were paying their electric bill or the utility bill, they needed the money just to pay a bill or, or one bartender actually helped to buy, went to help buy a crib for their newborn that was on the way. So, you know, they were, and whenever we run into somebody today that, you know, we happen to help out, they're very appreciative, but that was important to us that we wanted to directly help our customers and our friends. And, you know, we're, we continue to do that today, wherever we can be helpful, but that was, um, you know, business wise, it's been tight. It's been tough. Um, we have managed, um, not to lay off one employee. That's been very important to us. So we've done a lot of cutbacks actually, um, the upper management in our company has taken a pay cut in order to make sure we can take care of our employees. So being a family business, um, it's not just family members that are part of family, but our employees are part of our family. And we have many employees that have been here for 10, 20, 30 years. Um, so it's very important for us to take care of them. And yeah, I, yeah. I'd like Go to ahead. touch on that more. Um, when I first started here, probably half our employees were here when I first started when I was 14 years old. So I grew up with them. I grew up, with, as we were mentioning earlier about the mentorship, everyone here has mentored me in some way and growing up in that type of environment is definitely something else that I cherished and realized how lucky I was. And um, especially our VP of production, Raymond Murdoch, he tells me all the time that he basically is a Laird. He mm -hmm. is a family member he to is, us he and he treats everyone like family and seeing that firsthand makes me think, makes me realize like that that is the only way to do it around here. Yeah, so absolutely. Family is one of your core values as a company. And it sounds like that was maybe first and foremost in, in how you approach the, the pandemic with your community and your community being a larger sense of your, your customers, the bartenders, and of course, the, your teammates and the family in the broader sense of your company. So that's great. And I'm sure your community really appreciated all that you've, you know, you've done. I hope that 2021 is a better year. And 
uh, we have some things to look forward to. So switching gears to talk about the long-term, I know you have a balancing act between managing the short-term with an eye towards the future. And some folks have submitted quotes to me over LinkedIn. I wanted to give them a shout out and use that as a segue here. The quote is from Peter Drucker, and it's the best way to predict the future is to create it. And that was submitted both by Dave Vihek and Steve Wagner. So thanks to those guys for submitting that quote. How do you set the course for the future? How does your company adapt with new ideas, new innovations, whether it's technology or otherwise? And so Gerard, let's start with you. Technology is right up your alley right now. (laughs) Yes. And when I first joined, one of the first things I learned around here is if it's not broken, don't fix it. So we still have (laughs) production equipment from the 1960s that, don't get me wrong, works well and it gets the job done. But there's some areas where that mindset hasn't worked out for us. And one example would be our software system. We've been dealing with it for about 20 years now. Um, I personally think that it is inefficient and that we waste more time entering stuff in the system than the benefits that it could possibly be giving us. So one of the projects I'm working on right now is I'm researching a bunch of different software systems um, and seeing what fits our needs and how it can help us not only immediately, but five, 10, even 20 years down the road. That's a great place to start, I think, also to help you be more efficient. You're hopefully it'll be more cost effective. And is your vision to grow and to scale? Or is it more about of what you guys do in your production footprint to do it in a more cost-effective, efficient way? I think a cost-effective and efficient way immediately. But with the changing dynamic in the consumer taste, as we say, there's always new ways to grow so that when there is that consumer shift, we're prepared and we're ready if we take a, uh, a big hit on some of our areas of sales. So just branching out into different products, I think, is um, the safest bet for us in the long term to make sure that we're prepared and we're not caught off guard when that consumer taste does switch. Yeah. And Lisa, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, we are in the process of developing new products. Uh, We are always trying to, um, you know, come up with new items for our sales team to sell and, and looking at what the consumer trends are. Uh, and developing products that would fit into those categories. Uh, We are also, you know, we've been in the process of trying to um, open a visiting center. Uh, We had to kind of put everything on hold with the pandemic. Um, We couldn't, we didn't feel it was the right thing for us to do at this point in time to to put dollars, to put our funding and capital into that. We needed to, to preserve that for whatever was on the road ahead. Uh, but we do have our plans, and that's one thing I'm hoping that in 2021 we can get accomplished uh, and be able to grow our business there where we can have people actually come visit us and, um, you know, and sample products and, you know, see our history. It's not only going to just be a visiting center, but it's going to be a museum. So it's almost like not just layered history, but American history. So um, I think that would be, you know, wonderful for us. And that's in our in our plans. And we're, you know, looking at increasing some of our contract bottling to help offset uh, some of our lost sales due to COVID. Um, but so we're definitely, we're looking at many different avenues to continue our business and we need to be 
constantly changing um, and we will continue to look at new avenues and and develop new products and and as you know Gerard said become more efficient in what we are doing um, and time wise like the software system would not only you know it would make our our employees more efficient using it and also be more cost effective for us so and there's other avenues that we can do some changes as well so how do you get input from your customers, I guess you have distributors and then you also have the end consumer, which are either the bartender, depending how you look at it, or the retail buyer, the retail consumer. I think with some of the challenges due to the pandemic for restaurants and bars, some of the executives in the beer production industry are saying, oh, it'll never come back. The bars will never come back to the way they were. And we obviously don't know and they were talking about kind of off-premise, on-premise, and where these products will be consumed. Do you think there's going to be a shift to more of people consuming in their own homes as opposed to going to the bars and getting this cocktail, you know, served to them? Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we have seen that already. You know, a lot of the business has moved to the off-premise, and our most of our products, especially our Laird's Applejack and Apple Brandy, are very heavily consumed on-premise um, because they're being offered in cocktail menus and so forth. And uh, so we are, that's another goal that we have for 2021 is to increase our retail business. Um, but I, I agree, you're going to see more and more of that. People are learning to um, have cocktails at home. There's a lot of cocktail classes and cocktail kits that are going out, which we will become involved with as well. Uh, so people are becoming more comfortable making drinks at home now that they're they're actually taking the time to learn how to make their own cocktails. You're never going to lose the on-premise and the retail, or I mean, the restaurant and the bar and the cocktail bar trade. It will be a lot less. You know, um, you're going to find. Unfortunately, we're seeing every day. I hear of another place that's not reopening. Um, you're going to find less. Um, so, but you're never going to 100% move away from that experience of sitting at a cocktail bar and having a bartender. You know, part of that experience is having the communication and the relationship with the bartenders and watching them make the cocktails. Like that's part of the experience right there is watching their expertise. Uh, So that's never going to go away. Um, But unfortunately we're going to see more and more that aren't going to reopen, which really saddens me. Yeah. Yeah. I understood. And it's going to evolve, as you say, and maybe it's the equivalent of when you get your Amazon box and there's those unboxing videos. It's just that even the smallest thing gives people kind of that pleasure of seeing how it's done, what the reaction is. And with technology and social media and influencers, and maybe there are bartenders who are super influencers and preparing mm-hmm. videos of how, how to make a craft cocktail and how to enjoy. But you're right, it, it is going to evolve and hopefully it'll come back to where the level it's been for people to enjoy. So question for both of you, are there any family traditions that you can share either that you do as part of a daily habit at work or that you enjoy as a family together outside of work? Well, one thing that comes to mind because we're coming into the holidays is our Laird's Applejack eggnog. You know, that's always um, um, a tradition that my father, um, I still make him prepare it. Even he's like, you make it, you can make it better. I'm like, no, 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 you have to make it nice. Get there with the video camera, <laughs> take pictures of them. So that's always our tradition is our, our Laird's Applejack eggnog, which um, is delightful. And, and I always look forward to those excess calories <laughs> during the holiday, but it's really, um, 
really fun. And uh, um, do you have any other that you think of? I wouldn't say tradition, but more of a um, a process that hasn't changed in terms of uh, when we're whenever we're picking our barrels for some of our uh, flagship apple brandies. My grandfather is always the one that sits down and uh, sniffs and tastes all the different barrels to make mm-hmm. sure that yep. it fits all the requirements and checks off all the boxes. Um, my mother and I have been doing it with him so that we can learn what to look for and uh, and what and what um, what barrels fill all those uh, those uh, yeah, requirements, you, as I was saying. Yep, and you can see if there's something off with the barrel and so forth, what notes to pick up and so forth. So, yeah, it's it's been it's becoming a learning process for Gerard as he's uh, tasting with us and so forth. But uh, it's uh, and you know there are a lot of products when we're we're trying to taste and trying to you know you really have to develop the uh, the taste buds and 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 so forth. And also the stamina, you know, because obviously there's only so much you can taste and, and you spit, you don't swallow because we're at work and, mm-hmm. and we can't be drinking because it's coming out of a barrel. It's pretty high proof. <laughs> so right. Yeah. <laughs> the tradition is always sitting around whenever we get together, you know, which sometimes will annoy my mother when we're always talking business and talking about different ideas with the company and so forth. And after a while, she'd be like, okay, that's enough. Let's start. Did your mom <laughs> not work in the company at all? She is the secretary of the company. Um, she's been here on and off through the years, um, but does not work here full time. But, um, you know, I have to, you know, give kudos to my mom. She's always been my biggest cheerleader as well as my, you know, been there supporting my dad through all this um, throughout the years. They've been married. Uh, they just had their 60th wedding anniversary. That's amazing. Um, so which is amazing in itself. Right. That's fantastic. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, she's always been there. Um, supporting all of us and, you know, definitely instilling in me my confidence and my strength that I I have to, to help me, you know, do what I do. Yeah, absolutely. So when I first learned about your company, the word that came to mind for me was legacy. And I was wondering if there was one word that each of you would associate with the business, what would it be? Gerard? I think history. I'd say heritage. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great. Those are great words. I think there's a lot of companies that aspire to have something to be so proud of and to hand down. And certainly in your company, that's a foregone conclusion. (laughs) It's definitely going to the next generation. It's already there. As we wind down today's episode, I wanted to ask either of you if you have a favorite quote that you would like to share with the audience. Not that I can think of. I think you can't be perfect and you always have to strive to do your best, but realize as long as you do the best that you can do, you know, that's, that's all you can expect of yourself and not absolutely hard on yourself. Yeah. One thing that um, my current boss, Ray Murdoch always preaches me is make do with the resources that you have now and just try to maximize the potential. Cause uh, again, as a small family business, we don't have the capital to just mm-hmm. buy whatever we want whenever we need it. We, we always need to f- figure out how to get the job done with what we have and then build on from there. And it sounds like great advice and a good insight uh, that's befitting many companies to work with within with what they have, but also strive to improve. So before we close, how do people find you online? So that is one thing I'm working on. We do, we are on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We do have a YouTube page that is uh, just kicked off. Um, 
one of my jobs is to make that more prominent so we can expand our footprint. Um, I took that on when I joined and unfortunately it does garner a lot of time. It requires a lot of time. Um, unfortunately I have, I'm now at the point where I can't give it the attention it needs. Mm -hmm. So one of my tasks right now is finding someone to take over because we know that it's obviously it's free advertising and with our history, when people find out about it, they're, they become obsessed with it. And when they try our products, they usually end up buying, keep buying more. So my goal is to hopefully expand mm -hmm. upon that once, once we get this other person on board. But uh, yes, we are on Instagram is by far our uh, biggest following. That's at Laird's Applejack. At Laird's Applejack. And then the website and your website is www.lairdandcompany.com. Everything is spelled out. Um, we have a little bit of history on the website, mm -hmm. some cocktail recipes, uh, even our distributors in each state. So if you're trying to find a store where you can purchase it, you can call up that distributor and, and they'll, mm -hmm. they'll help you out. And it was really handy for me. I purchased one of your Applejack brandies as a gift for my sister-in-law who lives in New Jersey. And for her birthday. And yeah, and, and so your website is a great spot. And I love the idea, by the way, that you mentioned of opening a center mm -hmm. that is showcasing the history as well, the products. I would definitely come there and visit well, you. We, so we have a barn <laughs> here from the earliest, uh, the earliest foundation is from the 1700s. So we're going to refurbish that as well as add on to it. So the building in itself will be historical. So wonderful. Pretty cool. Wonderful. Well, Lisa, Gerard, thank you so much for being on Succession Stories today. It was great to meet both of you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. We've really enjoyed chatting with you. And, um, you know, we love talking about the history. You know, it's, you know, something that not many companies have, you know, 10 generations. So it's fun to chat about it. And thank you so much for thinking about us and, and wanting to, to speak with us. You're very, very welcome. Innovation, transition, growth. Easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big for strategic planning with your team to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to schedule a call with me. I'd love to connect with you. Be sure to catch the next Succession Stories episode with more insights for next generation entrepreneurs. Thanks for listening.